Hey everybody, bienvenidos, bienvenue, willkommen, benvenuti, however you want to say it. But I want to say welcome back to another episode of the Red Card Report. This is episode 41, and we're going to be taking a deep, deep dive on the European qualifiers since it is currently an international break. I know you guys must really be disappointed by that. No club football, but we still have plenty to talk about. We're going to be talking about those qualifiers in particular for the Portuguese national team, Rui's national team, and the Italian national team. And we'll even be talking about some coaching, a coaching carousel, if you will, just a, a roundabout of hirings and firings and all that good stuff that's going on. Spoiler alert. Yep, sorry. I, I didn't know that it was confidential information, really. Jose Mourinho. And um, we'll also be answering some Twitter questions, which is personally my favorite thing. Anyway, let me introduce you to co-host, my good friend, Mir Mao, and eternal rival in everything football, Rui Pereira. Rui, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, Joe. I can't believe what's happening in, <laughs> in the football world right now. Twitter has gone ballistic. I know everybody is surprised. Can we say that Tottenham is the smallest team since Inter that Jose Mourinho has coached? Jesus. Oh, my God. You're slamming two clubs in one fell swoop right there. <laughs> I didn't think that that was possible. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just I saw that on a tweet this uh, this morning, and I kind of kind of giggled a little bit because it is Mourinho, funny. Mourinho did coach Ladia, <laughs> yeah, who's like in the third division in Portugal right oh, now. Oh, really? Yeah. They used to be a pretty decent team back in the day, but they've uh, they've they've suffered dearly. Oh, since uh, his departure, or just forever? No, they, 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 it was after after his departure. But they used to be a pretty pretty decent team in the Portuguese league, middle table uh, club, and then everything just fell apart just years ago. And the town, the club, everyone in that area just, has not not sure you know hasn't recovered. Haven't recovered from it. My dad's actually from outside of Leiria. Did he ever run into Jose Mourinho? No, never did. Oh, that's a bummer. Never did. See, now that would have that would have been a cool story. Your dad would have been like, "See, I knew Jose when he before he was this big hot shot coach." Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, shall we talk about the Euros? We have a bunch of teams that have since qualified and a few more that are in, you know, playoff limbo. We still don't we just still don't have all of the teams, but we have the usual, you know, round of suspects. And uh I figured that we could start off with um your boys in red, Portugal. Give us your opinion right now about the Portuguese national team. I have my my own set of opinions on them. Sure. But uh uh just give give me the basic lay of the land right now. Up and down. That's all I can kind of say. I guess you think it's pretty. So? I guess it's pretty sort of kind of normal in the qualifying stages. Some big clubs they just make it more difficult than it should be. Portugal's always done that, but uh, overall, Portugal they've just been up and down. I love their attack, and this is the first time in a very long time that I've seen a Portuguese attack and uh, a midfield that is just so comfortable possessing the ball, controlling it, creating opportunities actually looking like a solid, solid team. Yeah. We saw like in the Euros when they played against the big teams, that stretch from like 2010 to 2016, I would say that 2016 years was like the beginning of Portugal finally starting to have talent, not just relying just on Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. But now it's just for the first time, probably since 2006, Portugal looked really comfortable. The one thing that really, really frightens me is the defense. They just haven't, they've done okay, but they haven't really played any serious teams in this qualification. Let's just, I'm just going to be serious. Like I was Serbia, ask solid. You about that. Serbia are solid. Ukraine are a surprising, they, they played very well. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but we shall see. Um, I'm really happy with what I've seen on the attack, but in the defense, it's, it, it leaves a little bit to be desired. It, it worries me a little bit. I'm getting a little anxious on that part because I know when you play against a team like Italy who's just tearing it up, France, Germany, Netherlands, it, it starts raising questions like, can this defense hang on against these high-powered attacking clubs? And is that just because that they have like one vet back there and one really young guy who's, you know, really trying to, you know, make a name for himself with the national team? And I'm talking about Ruben Dias. Do you think that it's just the chemistry hasn't sat in that back line yet? Yeah, Ruben Dias is a 
is a solid He does okay backs. for Benfica. He does pretty good for Benfica. There's no doubt, but he hasn't had a big club, and he's been... He was projected to be somewhere by now, and all Juventus scouted him. Yeah, I believe Manchester did. City, Manchester United, Bayern Munich. I believe all the big clubs, I could, but there were big clubs that were going after him, and he wasn't. He didn't end up getting sold, and that's kind of alarming because he is mistake prone, and he does pick up a lot of yellow cards. He kind of doesn't control his his aggression as well. Yeah, he's a young player, but. Right now, this is his third season starting in Benfica. It's time to start maturing a little bit and knowing more or less when you should be controlling your emotions and your aggression on the pitch because eventually you're going to start hurting your team this way. Yeah, letting up silly fouls, uh, getting ejected. Not saying that that has happened on a regular basis for him. He's not like Paulo Montero. You know, he's not getting sent off all the time. But um, yeah, that could certainly be a liability. Uh in a big tournament, especially like this, so yeah, I don't know, Joe. What do you? What are your thoughts on Portugal? Um, pretty similar to yours. Uh, their when their attack is on, world class. That you really can't ask for anything more. They all have they have that dynamism up front. Mm-hmm. I guess we've just seen little flashes of it, like you said, um, and not necessarily at the best quality opponents. So right. that'll be the real test is if they can kick it up a notch and get that uh, forward flow going against the Germanys, against the um, really tough defenses like Turkey even, if they get somehow meet up. But um, yeah, that that's my whole takeaway from this is that it's another sort of coasting qualification for right. Portugal. No real like scary, oh shit moments, but certainly... Maybe not, that's the word I'm looking for, maybe not the the utmost of quality qualifications. But before we move on, really, there's one thing I really, really want to put to bed here. And that involves Cristiano Ronaldo. There was speculation weeks before he started playing that, oh, he's hurt. You know, why is Sarri subbing him off and blah, 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 blah. Give me your take on all of this. Now that Ronaldo has actually officially come out and said, yeah, I wasn't 100% fit. Give me your opinions on that. Why would... Do you think that this is just a media stir-up or what? Yeah, I think it's a media stir-up. I think it's just reporters, journalists, whatever you call it, just trying to make a name and put eyes on on their news network, really, and on their works and all that stuff. It's just... It's kind of ridiculous. Ronaldo has, obviously, as you just said, he's confirmed that he hasn't been 100%. And he was frustrated for being taken off and he because he doesn't want to be taken off against of course. Milan. He doesn't want to be taken off in the Champions League. He said after the game against uh, Lithuania, I believe, or one maybe it was after uh, Luxembourg. One of the Regardless, it was one of those games after the qualification that, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, I haven't been 100%. Yeah, I, I was able to do well and, and play, but I haven't been able to be 100% and I have to recover and everything, like all that stuff. So it just really threw all those that speculation, basically threw it right into the water and that said there's like really no basis. There really never was a basis. The yeah. only thing that you had was just a reaction of him being upset and him scoring a hat trick against Lithuania. I, yeah. You and I talk, the, we, we were talking about, about this after the game that Ronaldo's capable of scoring a goal 50%. Uh, a hat trick 50% against Lithuania with no disrespect to them. They yeah, it's Lithuania. Absolutely. Now, if he did that against Spain, Italy, Germany, maybe raise a few more uh, questions. Then then you can start raising a few questions, but right. as of right now, I I think he's hurt. I think he's tired. Absolutely. I don't think it's anything he serious. He needs to rest. 100% agree. I just I I feel vindicated. That's all. I feel totally calm about all this and I did beforehand, so this just the it was just a nice uh, affirmation. Anyway, moving on. The next team that I kind of want to talk about really is Belgium because they're looking dangerous in so few words. Uh, there are, in your words, and I think that you <laughs> said this, they are arguably the most dominant team in the world right now. Statistically, and, yeah. Correct. I want to say they are 40 goals forward, three goals conceded. This team is just clicking. They're firing from all cylinders. Their attack is on point. The midfield game is great. 
Uh, Tielmans, we've, we've been seeing a lot of Tielmans in the rotation. He's been playing great with the national team alongside De Bruyne and Mertens and Lukaku and so many other great players. Hazard, the bo- both Hazard brothers. The defense is really, really good. It, w- w- what more can you really ask? Do you think it was just because it, they had a simple, I don't want to call them a shitty group, but it, it is kind of a shitty group that they qualified with, like with San Marino and Kazakhstan? Yeah, they... Um, <laughs> I'm 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 honestly trying to be unbiased here, but come on, Would San you? Marino is notoriously terrible, bad, and yeah. always dead last. Right. So. All right. Let's take away the the two the two games away from them. Okay. Okay. That's 13 goals. It's 27 goals. And see, no, but that's why I asked you still, because you they're, have they're the rationale. Pretty, they're still a they're still a pretty damn good team. I know oh, yeah. it's San Marino, but Belgium was scary in way. the world. They were scary in the World Cup. They were scary. In they the were World Cup. they were pretty scary in the Euros. This they're more experienced now. A lot of those players are. And I yeah, think they're more correct. unified. They're more complete. They're to- they're getting towards the end of that golden generation now. A lot of players are you know getting already them. in the 30s. This is a more experienced team, and for the most part, they're all in their prime still. They're just more sure. experienced. The chemistry is just there. Roberto Martinez has done a great job picking I'm, the right players, I'm amazed. training yeah. them, finding the right tactics. Are they going to go four in the back or three in the back like they've been practically over the last few years? So I don't know. This team is scary. To me, they're, they're a scary team, but it's like they lack that DNA of yeah. being Big there. Yeah. I can I totally understand that. I I guess for me, Belgium is kind of still going to be that dark horse team going forward sure that one team that's that could still really surprise you I, I i agree with almost everything that you said um what was it my question is do we still trust courtois on the national team yeah i figured i, I, I wasn't so. i bet you it's not like a ronaldo juventus thing you know where he's injured or whatever yeah. or i feel like it could be a psychological thing mm-hmm. um from him moving from madrid back to you know the belgium national team I bet you he feels more comfortable. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And I think this is all the, I, w- I want to say the last World Cup and this year's Euro squad are the best teams that Courtois has ever been on. Yeah, I I, I can wholeheartedly agree with that. That helps a lot. He Especially on the defense too. He has great defenders in front of him doing a good job mitigating the, uh, the opposing attack as much as they can. And Courtois, he will make the big save. He can. He's capable of it. We saw it in the World Cup. He's a, he's a great goalkeeper when he's on. And I think when he has confidence with a defense that he has in Belgium, he's a very good goalkeeper. Now, when he's at Real Madrid, there's so much pressure. The defense is not as great as it once was before. Sure. You're playing at, at the Santiago Bernabeu. You're, play, you're playing for the biggest team on the planet, practically. So there's a lot of pressure there and a lot of expectations. Now, for Belgium, it's not, I don't know, a little different. Maybe that's maybe that's my take. I'm I'm also curious is if there's a communication error there. You know, yeah. I mean, Spanish is certainly not his uh, his first language, so I don't know. Maybe sometimes he has difficulty shoring that that. Uh, Real it Madrid could be, defense. but he spent so I many years. Know. He spent so many years at, at Atletico, so maybe he's yeah. already pretty good at Spanish. I'm sure it's Who better else? than Gareth Bale Spanish. Uh, yeah, it's got to be better better than Gareth Bale Spanish. It, anyway. Next team that I want to talk about, my boys in blue. Yes, Italy. Can I just can I gloat for like two seconds? The mic's yours, man. Ten out of ten, no losses. Uh, what what was it? I'm I was absolutely blown away when I read this. We had a thirty-seven to four goal. Like, would that translates to a thirty-three goal differential? Amazing. I have never seen anything like this for Italy ever. No, because your team is just they've were always known to. Score a goal, maybe two, and then just stop. I don't want to say park the bus, and I don't want to say it's like what Portugal did. Maybe it's something what Portugal did, but they did it organized, effectively, not sloppy, professionally. Like sure. they were, they were the art of keeping clean sheets. The Italians, once they go up a goal and they put two away, forget it. Your chances of coming back are just toast because they will keep you off the score sheet. And now this is just a complete 180. Their attack is like the best I've ever seen. I, I don't know best. where it came from. And the, the funny thing is they're not the best attacking players the Azuri have ever had. No. But just the style of play, the rhythm, everything is just working. If you told, if I mean, granted now, Ricardo Orsolini is, is, is a good winger. Right. 
But if you told me that he was going to be starting for the Yatsuri one day, I would not. I would have been like, really? That kid from Bologna? Nope. And he's done great. He's he's been doing. He did really well against Armenia. Um, Bilotti's firing goals. That'll. I already know that that question is going to come up, so we might as well ask it now. Does Bilotti have that number nine spot locked and loaded? In my opinion, I think he does. I think so too. You have to give it to him. But over Immobile. Yeah, on the national team, yes. Um, if I were to choose to get either of them, one of them in Serie A, I would get Immobile. I think he's a better player. But right now, you have to go with what works best. And it's for me, it's Andrea Bellotti. I can totally see where people are, are, are preferring Immobile over Bellotti because Immobile has been doing very good for the national team. But right now... Stick to what's what works best at the moment. But you know what? Immobile is not a bad guy to come off the bench Absolutely. when Bilwati cannot put things away or not, or if he's not on his game. And and that could be huge going into tournaments. You you don't know that that will be huge when it comes to the Euros. And that reminds me of Rui Costa in two thousand and four Euros <laughs> coming off the bench. Because mm-hmm. Deku started ahead of him, and he would come on either for a winger. Right. Sometimes yeah. he'll come in for Deku, or you know, or whoever. It was. I haven't heard that name in years. By the way, that was that's a nice little blast from the past. So th- that's what I'm looking at it from a Portuguese perspective. So I'm going to reference that. That's, that's what it reminds me of. You and when you have a player like Immobile or Rui Costa coming off the bench on whatever team you have, pretty damn good. Right. That means that the attack is pretty stacked. I'm also really impressed at how well that the uh, the midfield is working together. I think that Mancini's done a, a, a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, pretty good. Really good job. I was very impressed with how everything turned out. Um, let me ask you this, Rui. Worst case scenario, because this is how my my fucking brain works, and our our good friend at Surrey fan Phil decided to point it out to me too this morning. The worst case scenario draw for Italy right now, which it would be a group of death for everyone, it would be France, Portugal, and Wales or or Finland. Um, who would come out of that group hypothetically if it happened? Who do you think? I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> I do. I do. It, it would be Portugal and France. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, that probably would be the case. I would be rooting for Italy. I know. That's my I second know. favorite national team. Screw France. So, um, but uh, if I want to be realistic, I think France will definitely come out of it. This I, is all hypothetical. I think it's just a toss up between Portugal and Italy. That's that's who I would choose. Portugal have had a past of being in group of deaths. Uh, this would be another one. <laughs> they were in one <laughs> in 2010, be. 2012, 2014, and... They ble- came out. Weren't they in one in 2016, too, for the Euros? No. No? no they weren't. they okay. were actually in an easy one. I don't know what one. I thought. All right. There's so many groups trying to remember. But uh, like I said, that was hypothetical, but it could happen. It could I really, happen. I don't, I don't want it to happen because I don't want to be sitting at your house and have my team play your team and well, I, I don't know. I don't know if my, my brain and my heart could handle that. Anyway, moving on. A um, well, couple more teams. I want to talk about Turkey. And really, the only thing I really want to highlight with Turkey is just how damn good that defense has been. Yeah. Give give me some give me some uh, some Turkish tips for that one. Your boy married Demerol. Dude, he's and good. And has been fantastic in the back. I don't know, man. I Where feel- did this come from? I don't know. It shocked me. It, what's amazing is how how far they went battling France for the first place spot. Now they beat France two nothing in the first meetup, and they drew the second time. That's huge. So they actually had the the head to head advantage over them, but unfortunately they dropped points towards the end. You know they they shocked me on how well they've been playing, and not just defending, also putting the ball away. And mind you, they're they're playing the same competition France is, and France is just a little bit better than what they've been do, uh, a little bit better than what Turkey's been able to do. And Iceland, tough team, tough team, really Absolutely tough, team. tough team. You know, they're playing against great teams. That's a tough group right there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, underestimate Turkey going into these Euros. I think that they'll be another one of those uh, dark horse teams that you really got to watch out for. So. Keep your eye open. Anyway, uh, one more team that I want to highlight is the current world champions, 
France. And I think that you kind of hinted at it already, Rui. Kind of just same old, same old from them. Maybe a little bit better quality. Uh, yeah, you, you got anything to say about them? Yeah, uh, they are definitely a better team. Than before. They're a better team than they were in 2018 World Cup. It's just all a matter of just sinking in all at the same time, just playing their A game. And when they're on their A game, they're just unstoppable. It's You really need to be on your game to beat them. For me, it's going to be them or Belgium as like the absolute favorites. Okay. Um, in right, my that's opinion. That's fair. Okay. Bookmark but, that. Remember that. But them, it's just when they're on their game and they're all in that rhythm, it's just pure fluidity. It's just great football. And they have gunners. They have gunners yeah. all over the pitch. That's that what score. scares me is the quality of players that they have from top to bottom. Everywhere. 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 Awesome. That was those were the teams that I really wanted to to touch up on. Any other teams that you 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 know that have qualified that maybe I don't know could could come out. I don't know. We Obviously Germany, Spain Ger- is really Germany. good. Spain's really good. Spain's really good. England are really really good. They they're also better than what they were in the World Cup. I'm not like totally bought on them, but I'm not convinced. They're playing either. good football. They're getting the results. Harry Kane is finding the back of the net. This is probably the best team that I've seen since probably 2004, that golden generation that England had. I don't know. There's just something there. It's just that that it's the history of England, Joe, as your boy Chiellini likes to say. It's the history of England. Um, they, just, they just fail. They just always fail. I'm just not so bought on their style of play. Yeah. Um, me either. It's good, but it just doesn't doesn't really excite me, and it doesn't really frighten me. I think they're garbage, but that's just because it's England. That's why. Um, I don't think they're garbage. They're a good team, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they'll go on a run, and maybe they'll win the whole damn thing. We Portugal won it last time, so no one thought of that. So Right. I think but, an, I think another one of those teams in the same boat is also Germany, like a team that's still not 100% convincing, but still... I I don't okay. like them. I don't. I know like you Germany. don't. I know you don't. I don't like. I don't think that they're going to do much in this Euro either. But the Germany's Germany. That holds a little bit of weight. Yeah, but not having Hummels and Müller. I know Müller oh, is yeah. a little bit out of his prime, but I think I think Lowe should have him back on the lineup at least, especially Hummels. Especially all the injuries that the German the German defense have right now. They're plagued with injuries. Why not get Hummels? He's still a very good know. player and he's experienced. He's won a World Cup. Yep. Put him in. And I mean those like I said, those are the teams I wanted to touch up on. We still have sixteen teams that have to qualify, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, only four of those will make it through. Um shout outs to names of who you think are gonna make it through, and I'll give you mine after. Out of the sixteen teams, yeah, I am going to go with Bosnia, okay, Iceland, yep. Serbia, uh-huh, and Slovakia. Yeah, actually, I'm dead 100% serious. Those are the teams I had going through, too. Yeah? Yeah. A lot of people Not were picking uh, Scotland and Israel and Hungary. No. no. Sorry. No. Or no. even Ireland. Ireland was pretty good. Ireland was pretty good. I don't think that they're going to And they it. started falling apart. They started falling yeah. apart. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with those four. I think those are the best teams left. Serbia is just a really tough team. Bosnia, Pjanic, and Dzeko combination. One, yeah. Iceland, what they've been doing the last two tournaments, they've definitely proven that they they can hang with you know the second-tier clubs in Europe. You know, they, They're they a pretty decent team. Smallest and nation. Getting, and they're only getting better. And uh, Slovakia, just for you know the experience, they're a defense. Overall, they've always been a pretty okay team. So I'm just going to go with them on that. Yep. Those are logical, really. I like those picks. Moving on, we have a coaching carousel going on in Europe right now. We have coaches thinking about leaving, coaches rumored to be leaving, coaches that have been sacked, and coaches, new coaches that have come in. And it's all because of different situations for each individual club. Who did we want to start with first, really? Because we got a lot of teams to talk about. You want to just start off with Napoli first? I'm totally fair. I mean, I'm totally fine with that. Um... Do you, you want me to take the reins yeah, on this one? Yeah, you are more familiar that. with this than I am. All right. I only know little bits and pieces. But I need <laughs> you to I need you to put the whole puzzle together. Okay. <clears throat> so, to begin, let's start with what happened a couple months maybe it's November, a few weeks ago. Aurelio de Rentis, the president of Napoli wanted to send the team to a retreat, a retiro. 
just to train and, you know, play FIFA and do all dumb team building shit. That's what you do. Um, Ancelotti was totally against the idea and didn't think that it would work. De Laurentiis wanted him to do it anyway. And like a good coach, Ancelotti went. The players did it for about a day and they were like, nah, we're not staying. We're going to go home. Ancelotti stayed. And then ever since that moment, everything in the media about Napoli has just been like it's on fire. Like every everything in Napoli is crumbling. So there are rumors that this is the last straw for Ancelotti, even though, you know, he's a really good coach. Um, he hasn't been giving them results. Uh, that would be the key factor in that. They haven't got results in five games, I believe. Uh, there's rumors that De Laurentiis wants to sell to, um, uh, last time I checked, Saudi Arabian uh, benefactors, if you want to call them. Players have been mugged, vandalized. They've had their houses broken into, um, in particular, Allen and Zielinski. It, total chaos is how I would describe mm-hmm. Napoli right now. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if if they can make it back from something like this. I think it's going to take a lot. There are rumors that a lot of players want to leave in January. Uh, give me your thought. Give me your thoughts on this, Rui. I, just from everything that I've told you, I know I'm not exactly a a great storyteller, but that's what I that's what I got. I think it's just I I, I think it's wrong for the players to just not show up to the retiro. Um, and I know that a lot of them are going to be away on international break, and then yep. it's just like almost. I, I what I've read was they were going to be about 20 days or 18 days on the road without seeing their families. And, you know, I think it's just kind of like a bogus excuse because when work calls, you go. Yeah. That's, Especially when you're getting paid that much. You're getting paid millions of dollars and or euros for that matter. And your club is literally in shambles right now. It's starting to to get into to that path. Apart. Yeah. You need to be there to do your best to patch everything up because Napoli are not done at all. But oh, you don't, think, you don't think they're done? No, I do not think they're done at all. I think okay. they're, this is a, a very talented team. I think they're mentally tougher than most teams. They've endured a lot. They've formed one of the most talented teams, well, the second most talented team in, in Italy over the years, and I can agree. one of the most exciting teams to watch in all of Europe. And they're no pushover club. When they're on their A game, they are no pushover club, and it's just it's aggravating to see this because the the potential for them to being a great team and going far in this year's Champions League it's there and it's too bad that some of the players are are just not there with the club with the rest of the club i feel like we're seeing a parallel to what's happening at tottenham honestly i think that i think that we mentioned this on an episode before mental fatigue is a real thing and i think that this squad Certain players who have been on it for a while are just tired of not really winning anything. Mm. And I think that they are definitely mentally drained after basically giving their all to try and take um, last year's Scudetto away from Juve. So I think that that was... I think that that was really all that they had. Um, another sort of coaching situation that uh, another big club in Europe is dealing with is Bayern Munich, and they sacked Nico Kovac. That's not exactly new news, but what is new news is that Hansi Flick is going to be the continuing coach for the rest of the year, apparently, or at least for the rest of 2019, as far as we can tell. And um, I know that you're really big on this guy, Rui. Can you give us some background on, on Hansi Flick and his impact so far at Bayern Munich? Yeah, I mean, the whole managerial sacking wasn't all that surprising. There were a lot of a lot of coaches that were linked to them. Arsene Wenger, uh, Jose Mourinho. We'll a lot of big touch games. up on him in just a little yeah, bit. In a minute. <laughs> in a minute, literally. Um, but the moment... The moment Hansi Flick took over as the caretaker against Olympiacos, it was a perfect game. Yeah, you really couldn't ask for more. It was a perfect game. The only thing is that just a couple of opportunities that they missed. Outside of that, they look like their old selves. Their defense was like the main issue for them this year. Because We've not only did they have that, yeah. injuries, but when they were all healthy, like Zule is a huge loss. He's out for 10 months, as we mentioned before. Uh, Lucas um, Hernandez out for 
quite a, quite some time now. Um, he's not going to be back for a while. Those are your two best center backs. And now you're forced to play with Javi Martinez and David Alaba in the back as your two center backs who are not natural center backs. And they're playing nope. great. Yeah. Not only was it against Olympiacos, but it was against Dortmund. Let the game. So, like, I want to touch up on this and what he was able to do. Maybe we're jumping on the train. Maybe I'm jumping on the train a little too early, but that's I my still want to see how it goes first. Yeah, that's my thought. But, yeah, you go ahead, Rui. But the impact that he's made in just those two games is it's really impressive because just that back line alone, all right? We're going to start from the left. Start from yep. the left to the right. To the right. So Alfonso it. Davies at left back, who's naturally a winger. A winger. Okay. David Alaba, who's naturally a, naturally a left back, playing center back. Javi Martinez right next to him, naturally a defensive midfielder, playing center back. And on the right was Benjamin Pavard. Who's a center back. Who's a center back. And then Kimmich, screening the defense, playing the sixth and position. And he's a right back. And he's a right back. It's like everyone moved to the right. Actually, I think that that's pretty accurate. It's like everyone moved to the right on the the starting rotation. And it, I, I guess it worked. And it's been working. That was the lineup for those last two games for Bayern Munich, and they were exceptional. And not only were they exceptional on defense. Lewandowski's been on fire. Lewandowski, with or without uh, Hansi Flick, he's Lewandowski, but... The style of play Bayern Munich have been playing uh, have been playing the last couple of games, just creating chances, looking for the open space. The game is just so fluid, and the defense is just winning everything. They're starting um, from the back, which is one thing that I really like about Javi Martinez and Kimmich playing in that centralized defensive role. They're good playmakers with the ball. Yeah, yeah, they are. Same with David Alaba. Mm-hmm. Starting from the back, they're great. The wingers are getting involved, creating chances. The game is so fluid now with them, but I don't want to jump on the high horse. But we'll if see. this continues, Flick should definitely stay. Okay. Uh, I know who Rui wants to be coach of Bayern Munich. But in other news, and uh, this has kind of taken everyone by surprise, Mauricio Pochettino, Pochettino, Pochettino. I really want to say Pochettino, but it's Pochettino. Has been sacked by Tottenham Hotspur, and guess who is their replacement? Jose, Jose Mourinho. Mourinho. The special one. The special one. Has arrived back in London. Jesus Christ. I thought that, I, I thought he said he would never play for another London club outside of Chelsea. I don't remember him saying that. Uh, uh, I got you on that one. Anyway, he he signed a contract until 2023, making around 15 million euros a year, <laughs> which is more Jesus than Poch. Christ, which is more than Poch. It, po- po- I, I bet you Poch is furious with this shit. I can only imagine how pissed off he could be. Rui, you're the you're the resident EPL expert. Tell me what. Don't what give me the, too much credit, Joe. No, you really are. Well, you know more than me. Therefore, you're an expert. Um, so is that the threshold? Oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> um, just tell me, what does this mean for the rest of the EPL? And where can can this help? Does this actually help Tottenham? Yeah, people are going to watch Tottenham even more. They already do. But people are going to tune in to this weekend. Oh, yeah. The, he's playing United, isn't he? No, that's on December 4th. Okay, I knew that they, I weeks. Knew that they were playing them down the road. Two weeks from tonight. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from tonight. How many people do you think are going to watch that game? Oh, everybody. Everyone's going to watch that fucking game. So, this is a great move for for Tottenham commercially-wise, maybe? Maybe. I think so. I think it's a good move for them. They just need something different. The whole thing with Pochettino, I I love Pochettino. I thought he did a great job. He's done a great job. He's a better coach right now, obviously, than Mourinho, but... This issue at Tottenham has just gone on for too long, and it was already going on throughout their campaign last year going into the Champions League. There was already buzz with Ericsson. Even Pochettino wasn't even sure if he was going to come back. Um, a couple of other players, Alderweireld, was already expressing, he was already saying that he wanted to leave. Yeah, Vertonghen was just not sure if he really wanted to resign or not. Danny Rose has been wanting to leave for a long time. A few other players, you know, this is just something that's been going on for too long. 
And I think that loss in the Champions League final just put the dagger on everyone's morale in that locker room. They've just been playing together for way too long. The same, the same story. Stuff. Yeah, it, it was just a broken record player that just kept going around and around and around. It was the same thing that they had to do week in and week out for so many years. And on top of that, being one of the most talented squads in Europe, they won nothing. Yeah, they've, yep, won, they've nothing. won nothing. So it's a good move. I have a couple of question marks on why the hell Tottenham sacked him at the end of the trans um of the uh, international break. And why the hell they gave Mourinho four years or three years uh, to work with? Yeah, I have my own That's, ideas behind that. I, I don't know. That's probably what, I, I mean, he probably asked for that. Whether or not he is actually there for four years, who knows? But at least, the least I can say for this is that at least it's not like a, a Narsen Wenger sort of situation where he's totally overstayed his welcome. You know what I mean? Right. I'm talking about Poch here. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Do you think Hats off to Poch. Well, what was your take on all this? Like when you read the papers and then you saw that Mourinho was going. Well, let's put it this way. Do I when think you it's read a good the move? papers that that um, that Pochettino was sacked? How did you like feel about that? Did I, he deserve to be sacked? I felt like they could have gotten this done in the summer. Like if they were really that unhappy, they we we even said it, Rui, that this has been going on for a really long time, and that. Champions League final loss, it probably weighed more on them than they thought it did. And that kind of carried over into this year's campaign. Yep. So, like I said, they could have done this dirty laundry beforehand, before this happened. This just seems like odd timing for me to bring in to bring in someone like Mourinho, you know? Right. I think this... It's either that they should have waited until international break or let him finish. I, I yeah, think I would until... Have probably, you mean January. I think you're right where... They should have parted ways in the summertime because going into the Champions League final, he was asked whether or not if he wa- if he was going to stay if they won or whatever whatever it I may be. I think regardless, be. They, he should. He have never left. really gave a direct answer, and I kind of I kind of agree with him for not giving a direct answer because you don't want that storyline to be out going on going into the Champions League final. True. But then again, it also kind I think there was some truth behind it where he neglected the um, answering that question. Yeah. I, I think there were some some real genuine feelings there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that he's a, a pretty genuine guy anyway. So right. So you know, if I was to ask you know an, another manager, maybe Valverde, that question from Barcelona, he'd be like, "Yeah, I'd I'm be fucking like, leaving." He's like, uh, he would have neglected it, but you would have known that he would be back next season without a problem. Yeah, right. So you know that. With Pochettino, it just it, it, this was just stemming way too long. They should have got rid of him, but right now, I think it was a little unfair just canning him right right in the middle of the season. Yeah, I would have gave him another transfer window until send January. a couple of players out, try to get a few players in, and see what you can do. It's definitely think- it's easy for us to say all this stuff because we we don't know what's going on right. exactly behind closed doors and it's also easy for us because we're talking about this after the fact you know we can look at his whole tenure at Tottenham and be like oh yeah that was that was the breaking point because we now have hindsight and as they say hindsight's always 2020 so we we know now um but Rui, I have one question before we actually move on to our Twitter questions. A couple of Twitter I, questions are like are about can, that. About yeah, what's going on? Yeah, but where does Poch go now? Is is um actually one of them? It's from B Pereira underscore ten twenty two. Brian Pereira, a great, great friend of mine. Um, he's been with us since day one. By the way, yeah, I would love the guy. So he's uh he's a great follower. Great, you know. Thank, thank you, Brian. you, thank you, Brian, for all your support through this year and a half already that we've been doing this. I know, it's crazy. Um, some up and, ta- up and down times getting podcasts <laughs> yeah. out, but, you know, he's always been there sticking it out, so we appreciate it. So Great yeah. question, by the way, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, so... It's, where does Poch end up now? Where does he go? So there were a few teams that have been linked to him. Napoli, Milan, which I don't think... At, at Milan just throw that out the window, but... I think you'd be good. Least, I think you'd be great at Milan. I will... I, I think you'd be really good. I would throw the biggest party the world <laughs> has ever seen if he came to Milan, but I know it's not going to happen. I don't see him going to Napoli. Neither There's do I. There's Arsenal, 
Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. Do you think he'd hop the pond and go to Arsenal? I don't know. How deep Poch, How deep is he a spur? Exactly. I don't think Poch would do it. I don't think he would. But then again, I can like see kind of him doing it. Real Madrid, I don't think so. Because I think they're starting to to pick it up now. Not his kind of club, I think. Not his kind of project. Maybe. I think that there might be way too many, um, a, a lot more pressure than he would want. Yeah. Well, regardless, right now I think Real Madrid are just fine with Zidane. They're starting to pick things up. But Bayern Munich is one that I could see. The Bayern Munich, um, the directors up in, up in the board, whatever, whoever, whoever they you are, want to call it, they've already put out that they're no longer focusing on a coach that can just speak German. They're willing to have an international guy come to the club. Um, He's Argentine, so that would be good, right? <laughs> Will Poch go? Is that what what Bayern, is that Bayern Munich's first choice? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Either. I think Eric Ten Hag is the guy that they want because he's familiar with the league. He speaks German, and also he's a really freaking good coach. Yeah, and his style of play, um, his style of coaching would fit in just perfectly on Bayern Munich's first team. Yeah, I think Bayern Munich are 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 waiting for him in the summertime, and they'll just ride it out with Hansi Flick because obviously Pochettino's not going to be a caretaker. That, that no, wouldn't make any right sense. Now. Um, he needs some time to cool off. Yeah, he needs time. I would say that is Bayern Munich's first choice. If if because we'll right now they're talking, so they're, they're definitely talking to to Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, they're definitely talking. I I think he is going to end up going to Bayern Munich. But if Eric Ten Hag's like, no, I'm going to go somewhere or I'm going to stay at Ajax, Pochettino's going to be the guy at Bayern Munich. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that happening. That or Arsenal. All I know is is that he's a hot commodity right now. He's a good coach. Yep. And uh yeah, I think that any team would be really happy to have him. So it would be cool if he were at Milan. Just saying. Um let's get to a couple of other Twitter questions, shall we? This is from Plude 22 I'm sorry if I butchered that, but it is what it is. The Polish hammer. <laughs> That's Joey Plude. Joey Plude. Thank you, Rui. Um, and thank you for your Twitter question. Um, how dangerous will Tottenham be now that Mourinho has natural goal scorers and all he has to do is shore up that defense? Ooh. it's a good question. They're going to play the counter. Yes. That's his, well, you're going to see a lot of pressing for sure because Mourinho loves Eric Dyer. And Eric Dyer is one of those athletic center backs that Tottenham haven't really been using, which is why they haven't been so effective on defense and they haven't been pressing as well as they used to. Eric Dyer is one of those guys. Wanyama also one of those guys that likes to press, and Tottenham have really lacked it this year. Jose Mourinho loves him, and he once said that he was world-class a few years ago when he was at Manchester United, and he wanted him there. So he's going to be really happy with that. Um... Maybe they'll play counter. Uh, that's a, I, I, that's a Mourinho maybe. mo for me. Yeah, I, I they play the counter. I could say that, or that he ball. can even have like a similar style of play that that Pochettino played. Uh, could be. Pochettino had pressing hard and maintaining possession. It's kind of similar what what he was doing at Real Madrid when he was there. True. So I don't know. Uh, Mourinho is pretty flexible. He does prefer like the the defensive style of play, the counter attack. But I think. I think they could be dangerous. They could be dangerous, but the first thing that they have to do is have all these players, whatever their me- their mental state is, they want to, they need to want to play for the club. Yeah. And Mourinho has no he's problem. He's a good motivator. He's a great motivator mm-hmm. and he has no problem whatsoever to throwing a person on the bench or selling him in January if they do not want to play for him or the club. Yeah. He has no issue with that. He'll tell him to beb agua. Exactly. So, which means drink water. Just saying. So first, the men- the mental state has to be there. Okay. Because we've I seen this see team. We've seen this team. We know what they're capable of. They're talented. This roster with Mourinho, Not they shouldn't good. have an issue finishing in top four. When you know, when from the beginning, the beginning of the league to the end of the league, there should be no issue of him finishing in top in the top four with this club. Now. It's what he's what he's going to be able to do to get the absolute best out of this team, and I think we can see it in the Champions League this year. I think Tottenham now have a chance because they they just have a new coach. 
a to get into of, the top a four, breath of, uh, a breath of fresh air. air, a new a new identity, a new we'll see. Yeah, dust off some cobwebs. a new philosophy yeah. coming into the club. I think in the Champions League, this is where they're going to make the most noise in the league. It's going to be tough to get into the top four. They can I still agree. do it. I agree. I think Mourinho is able, could be able to, to put Tottenham on a stretch of wins. I think he's going to beat Manchester United, and I think he's going to beat Chelsea. Ooh, wow. But the, big prediction. But the real question is, how long is it going to last? Yeah, that's a and that's a that's a question for another time for sure. I'm pretty convinced that they're going to do well finishing the season, but I wonder what's going to happen after. After, uh, well, we'll find out come the summertime. All I know is is that I foresee in my crystal ball a lot of long balls to Harry Kane. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And the defense was lacking a little bit the center backs, but um, I think I think he's definitely the guy that could fix. Yeah, fix he all could the fix holes that on, on the defense without a problem. Um, moving on, our good friends at Unsportsmanlike Conduct, that podcast, follow them, you know, go on their Twitter at UN Mike Conduct. <laughs> I think I messed that up. But it's Unsportsmanlike Conduct podcast. They're great and they're our great friends. And they sent us a really good question. I like this question a lot. Uh, rank the top five toughest places in Europe to play. And just give us a quick list, Rui. Quick list. I'm going to start from five to one. Sure. I'm going to go to the Rochko Mitic Stadium in Belgrade, Serbia, home of Red Star Belgrade. Number four, Phil's going to like this one, Stadio San Paolo in Napoli, Italy, home of Napoli, of course. And, you know, they live and breathe football. It's religion down yeah. there. It is the closest thing to Argentina in Europe. I would agree. Something, you know, similar very, to that, very I guess. Similar. Um, number three, Signal Iduna Park in Dortmund, Germany. Obviously, Borussia great Dortmund. Fans. Great fans. Great atmosphere. Incredible. Uh, number two, Turk Telecom Stadium in Istanbul, Turkey. They're home of Galatasaray. Unfortunately, they're having a really shitty season this year, but they're the crazy. spirit is there. The atmosphere is nuts. They love, love their club, and it's always a show. Always, it's a, always show. a show, really and is. you can ask any any big time player that has gone and played there. It's like walking into the valley of the shadow of death, or whatever. Yeah, the hell it is called. Yeah, um, it's, it's very intimidating. It's very intimidating. It's loud. It's a war zone practically in the stands. So number one, Joe oh boy. Celtic Park. Yeah, that's in a Glasgow, classic. Scotland, home of Celtic. That's a great atmosphere. Both Messi and Ronaldo have said that that was the toughest stadium in Europe that they ever played in. Yeah, for good reason. For a good reason. Those fans they are, are tough not as a shit. huge club in terms of talent, but the passion of those fans are just unreal. If you watch videos on YouTube, like Celtic Park crowd or Celtic chants in Scotland. You'll know what I'm talking about, and it just gives you goosebumps. It gives you the chills on how loud and passionate that fan base is. It's it's insane. Yeah, I I would agree, and I would say a couple of honorable mentions, at least for my part, would be Liverpool because you, Anfield, Anfield, Anfield's always going to be up there, and Rome. Stadio Olimpico is actually is you know. Very difficult place to walk in and play. Oh yeah, for any player. When Lazio and Roma when, are playing, when Lazio and Roma are playing. It. Yeah, forget that. Um. Anyway, another question from our good friend Farino underscore ten. Ibrahimovic, really, is he the solution to Milan's woes? If so, what is the long term solution thereafter? I My answer is no. I don't uh-uh. think he is. Shitty either. idea. Bad idea. Don't do it. Um. I don't think so at all. Yeah, he'll score goals. He'll, you know, make Milan fans happy. But I don't think this is the real solution to the problem. One, it's just Milan just cannot afford to just pay someone a million dollars a month. Yeah, they can't do it. That's he's pat- it's way past abs- his prime. It's absurd. He's w- way past his prime. It's not guaranteed that he's going to perform in Serie A. Um, and you know what? I honestly think Piontek or Lyon could get on track and start scoring goals. Anytime I think Milan now. really needs to focus on other other parts. Yeah, it's it would be great to have him back. 
if we can afford them and if it made sense. Milan need to patch up other holes on their on their starting eleven. You know, a left winger. We need a left winger. If we're going with four three three, I'm sick and tired of Cholinoglu playing on the at, on the left wing and relying everything on Suso from the right side. It's just like I'm. <laughs> Don't it's cry. so aggravating. Stop. It's so aggravating right now, and I think if they can get someone on the left side that can just take the pressure off of Suso, make things easier for for Piontek or Leon or whoever plays the number nine, there needs to be other creativity. It can't just be coming from the right side. It needs to come from the left. It needs to come from the middle. So that one extra person on the left is going to make a difference for Piontek because Piontek can put the ball away. Yeah. Leon, the more this kid plays or the the more he, he trains, he's just going to get better. And I don't think Leon is a natural left winger. He's more of a second striker, creative number nine player. He's not, he's not really on the wing. He never played on the wing, not at Spartan, not at Lille. Just it, it's just never been for him, and I know they they tried to put him put him on the wing, or they talked about putting him on the wing. It's just not going to work. So the answer is no, eh, for both of us. Anyway, one final question from our friend Tepasa Alex: Copa Libertadores in FIFA? Question mark. And uh, for you, Alex, I can confirm: yes, the Copa Libertadores will be in FIFA. Come March. Why they're waiting that long, I don't know. But there will be a patch that's going to get rolled out uh, in March of 2020, and you'll be able to download it, and you will get the Copa, pretty much. Uh, And I think that they'll actually even have some of those licensed teams, too. Um, The only difference being they won't have all of the Copa Libertadores licensed teams um, like Pez does. Uh, but you will get a a few of them. That much I know. Anyway, uh, Rui, do you have any other things that we could possibly talk about? This was this was a one hell of an episode. This honestly. was a very long episode, Joe. One of our longest ones, I, quite some time. I mean, we've also it's been a while since we've recorded. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we also want to apologize. Last week we had some technical difficulties between our equipment and all that stuff, and even. Scheduling the conflicts, program that whatever we use to, to record everything on our on our um, computers and everything just went completely down when we when we saved the ah. the audio. That was like the worst thing ever. And then our our mixer was acting up. Everything just yeah, was like, all shit. shat the bed at the end, at one time, and you know it couldn't happen at any worse of a time. <laughs> but I just want to say thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Honestly, thank you for supporting us. If you wouldn't mind just giving us a five star review. Share us with your friends if you like the show and uh, keep on listening. Keep up the participation. We'll definitely see you guys on Twitter. And yeah, we out. We out.